You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Thank you all, and thanks Thank for uh, thanks for coming out. As uh, Rena says, we're we're starting another season, which is a lot of fun for us, and we hope for people in the San Francisco area of uh, SF and SF. Uh, as always, I'm going to remind everybody to turn on their cell phones in case they get a better offer. And um, so we will begin our um, reading tonight. We have two very interesting authors. Uh, we're going to start, the author uh, uh, we want to start with, um, they, they always tell a writer never to quit your day job until you got a three-book contract, and so you, you'll still see this guy around in movies and TV, um, but he describes himself as a splatterpunk author, which I'm going to ask him later exactly <laughs> what that means, and his latest novel is called the Revenant Road. It will be available to buy and have signed later on. I'm told that it's a humorous horror monster novel that is uh, somewhat reminiscent of the work of Neil Barrett Jr., which is high praise oh. indeed, yeah. I think. And oh uh, so I'm looking forward to hearing from uh, Michael Boatman. Let's welcome him. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so shall I just start reading? I should set That's it up, it. I guess. Um, the Revenant Road is actually a story about a man named Obadiah Grudge, and Obadiah Grudge is a very successful, a best-selling actually, best-selling crime writer, um, Brooklynite, very urbane sort of guy, and um, lives in an apartment in Brooklyn in a brownstone with uh, black walls. He's he's a little dark, and um, he's uh, he's got it all. He's got you know sort of wealth and fame and good looks. Um, very dysfunctional relationship with his mother, largely based around the fact that his father abandoned the family when he was nine years old. And the story up to the point where I'm going to do the reading is um, happens, it, as it happens, uh, Obadiah has just discovered his mother has just told him his father was murdered. And uh, he shows up at, they show up at the funeral, and at the funeral there are a sort of a cavalcade of very strange characters and oddly dark and sort of, you know, menacing people whom Obadiah doesn't know because he hasn't known his father in the last, you know, 20 years of his life. Um, and so where we take up with in the reading is right after um, the funeral when Obadiah goes back to Lenore's house, his mother, who's, you know, quite a character in her own right, I hope, um, <laughs> has just informed Obadiah that the reason that his father abandoned the family was not because of a divorce, not because of a problem between the two parents, but because, in fact, his father, Marcus Grudge, was the world's premier monster hunter. And that in order to save and protect his family, he abandoned them in order to, you know, to, to sort of lead the monsters. And in this r realm that I've created, the monsters are basically all of, the, all of humanity's monsters, not just vampires and werewolves, but monsters from all over the world. Because the one thing that I remember thinking about the book as I was writing it is, wouldn't it be great if we could hear about monsters from other cultures? And I mean, America is such a melting pot. Why, isn't, why aren't our monsters sort of also represented? And so um, Obadiah has just heard this news from his mother 
Obadiah is also an alcoholic. He's a very angry, successful, but angry alcoholic um, because, of his, because of his loss of relationship with his father. Um, and you guys can draw whatever inferences about my own, my own uh, life you want from that. But um, So I'll start off here at chapter 12. This is just after the funeral of Marcus Grudge. And um, Lenore has just informed Obadiah that his father was this, the world's premier monster hunter. We'll see what happens. It's the first time I've ever done this, so I'm a little nervous. Okay. All right. Oh, and I'm, there's one thing I need to mention. At the funeral, how can I not mention Neville? At the funeral... Um, one person who, who Obadiah does meet is uh, a man named Neville Kowalski, who um, is sort of a big name around Obadiah's house. He remembers hearing this man's name growing up, and he always knew that somehow this man, Neville Kowalski, was a very important person in his father's life. Um, at the funeral, when Kowalski, who's sort of beaten up and bandaged, comes up to um, Obadiah and Lenore, um, Obadiah begins to suspect that maybe there's something about Neville's relationship to his father that's not quite wholesome and Obadiah actually mistakenly thinks that they were gay lovers but in fact they weren't gay lovers and you'll find out what they actually are or maybe they were I don't want to give anything away it was a mistake not that there's anything wrong with that all right trying to think if there's anything else I think that's it okay okay chapter 12 an affair to dismember part three Three days after my father's funeral, I was lying on the sofa in my apartment, surrounded by the emptied contents of my liquor cabinet and wishing I'd majored in brain surgery. There were several choice moments from the previous 72 hours that I would have happily cauterized. I was hungry. I hadn't eaten solid, I hadn't eaten solid food since the morning of the funeral. I sat up. The pain in my head immediately called me an idiot and punished me accordingly. At first, I thought the blinking red light in the corner of my eye was a burst blood vessel, then I realized that it was my answering machine. <laughs> I pushed the play button, and my mother's voice filled my living room. Obadiah, I haven't heard from you. We need to talk. Call me. Beep. Obadiah, hi, it's Mark Bloom. Remember me, the publicist you're underpaying to make you internationally fabulous? Listen, I booked you on Juno for the day after tomorrow. Beep. Obadiah, Neville Kowalski calling. I rubbed the crust out of my eyes. I don't know exactly what your mother told you, but I can guess. I'd like to meet with you today, maybe over lunch at the White Fedora, say, 1.30? I reached over and turned up the volume. I know this seems odd, Kowalski's voice continued, but there's a few matters need clarifying before we can proceed. Before we can proceed? There's a whole lot you don't know about your old man. I'd like to tell you the real story. I'd like for you to understand what Marcus was all about. I hope you'll come. The machine asked me if I wanted to erase my messages. I looked at my watch. 20 minutes to get to the white fedora. I got up, got dressed, ran past my kitchenette, and into the street to chase down a cab. I could eat after lunch. 32 minutes later, I stepped out of a taxi at the corner of Broadway and 47th Street. A healthy lunch crowd swirled around me. As I stepped up onto the curb, I was jostled by a group of fat Midwestern tourists. One of them, the obvious leader of the pack, grabbed me by the shoulders. <laughs> Sorry, my brother, he brayed. Say, you and me aren't going to have a problem here, are we, Roscoe? The rest of the pack yipped and chattered like overfed hyenas. 
The red-faced pack leader pounded my shoulder and roared with what I might have taken to be corn-fed good humor if I hadn't been nearly asphyxiated by the vodka fumes eddying out of his enormous pores. Without waiting for my reply, the fleshy adventurers moved on up the sidewalk, filling the air with harsh Midwestern R's, smashing every vowel flatter than the flattest flapjack as they pursued the ephemeral pleasures of Times Square, Restaurant Row, and the Great White Way. The shrieking lunatic was almost a welcome relief. I turned, expecting to see some perfectly ordinary, crack-addled, urban wild man, caught up perhaps in the throes of a brick-wielding frenzy. Instead, I was stunned to see a portly man wearing a smart cardigan and khakis, waving a butcher knife, crossing 47th Street at a dead run. <laughs> Die! He was talking to me. As people around me scattered like roaches, I had one second to realize that I knew the wild-eyed lunatic. That's Copernicus Geller. Geller dodged a speeding bike messenger and came on, his eyes wild as he screamed, Die! Then the crosstown bus smashed into him. Geller flew west 30 feet through the air and landed on Broadway, dead center of the southbound lane. It was 1.42 p.m., the height of the midtown lunch rush. Geller sprang to his feet. He'd managed to hold onto the knife, but his left arm jutted at an angle that would have confounded the nation's greatest contortionists. Undeterred, Geller turned, spotting me in the gawking crowd, lifted the knife, die, and was struck by a taxi. The taxi driver screamed in some Middle Eastern dialect as Geller bounced off the roof, slid down the back windshield, rolled off the trunk, and hit the concrete. Again, Geller managed to stagger to his feet, or rather, his foot. Most of his right leg was rounding the corner of 48th Street, dragged beneath the wheels of the fleeing taxi. Disoriented, Geller hopped backward into the northbound lane just as a speeding UPS truck thundered into the intersection and blasted him through the window of the nearest Starbucks. <laughs> as tourists and New Yorkers of every stripe ran toward the scene of the accident, I turned and made my way back up the street. Copernicus Geller was the book, crit book critic for the New York Sentinel. <laughs> he hosted a weekly national cable show called Lit Beat, during which he'd once burned a copy of my novel, Death and the Sorcerer, while singing God Bless America. <laughs> One nut job down, I thought with warm satisfaction. My step even grew lighter as I made my way back up, seventh, back up 47th Street. I even whistled. Sorry I'm late, traffic. <laughs> Kowalski had already ordered lunch, chicken salad on a bed of fresh, fresh spinach. He waved away my excuse and grunted around a mouthful of croutons. Traffic in this town sucks donkey balls. He waved the waiter over to our table. Get you something from the bar, he said, indicating the chilled, empty glass in front of me. How about a nice cream soda? I sat down across from him. Just coffee, I said. You drinking anything? Everything, he said, which is why I stick with cream soda. Kowalski leaned in, lowered his voice. Obadiah, I'm seven years sober today. Christ, I'm just tickled pink about that. Congrats, I said. Again, the wave. Yeah, who gives a shit? Beg pardon? Obadiah, I shared that information with you because I believe that you and I are going to become friends. That's probably overstating things, I said. 
Oh, not today, Kowalski continued. Hell, probably not even next year. But what I'm going to tell you about your father, well, let's just say that he and I came from different worlds. Circumstances brought us together, changed both our lives. We were partners for nearly 30 years. By now, I was profoundly uncomfortable. I turned, hoping to find a waiter or a runaway bus to throw myself under. <laughs> Your mom told you a story. Your mom told you part of a story that began before you were born, Kowalski said. I nodded. That you and my father were some sort of spook detectives. Kowalski winced. Monster killers, son. Marcus Grudge and I were monster killers. Uh, listen, Mr. Kowalski, I said, I don't know what kind of sick stunt you're trying to pull over on my mother, but I came here today to tell you it's over. Kowalski looked up from his salad as if he hadn't heard me. How's that? I don't know what kind of twisted, though perfectly acceptable, sexual relationship you and my father had, and frankly, I don't care, I said. I want you to stay away from my mother. Sexual relationship, Kowalski growled. Sexual relationship? Kowalski laughed. I clenched my jaw to control the flow of outrage that seeped around my teeth. Something about Kowalski set my nerves on edge. You filled her head with a lot of fairy tales, and somehow, perhaps because of closet alcoholism or some undiagnosed mental disorder, she's come to believe them. But whatever the reason, it's officially done, I said. I reached into my pocket and pulled out my checkbook. I'm going to write you a check for more money than you've ever seen back at whatever trailer park you came from. I'm going to give you this check, and then you are going to disappear, just like Count Dracula or the Invisible Man or whoever else you'd like to invite to your indictment, which I will personally guarantee if you come within 50 yards of me, my mother, or anyone in the tri-state area who bears a passing family resemblance. Capiche? Kowalski stared at the check. I'll take that as a yes. I said. I stood, feeling like a righteous defender of the mentally defective. I reached into my wallet and threw a $5 bill onto the table. Thanks for the coffee. I spun on my heel and walked away from the table. Why do you think your books are so successful, Mr. Grudge? Kowalski said. I stopped. Oh, I don't know, Mr. Kowalski, I said. What say you just chalk it up to dumb luck and fuck off? You believe her. I turned back. What did you say? You believe every word of what Lenore said, and it scares the pistachios out of you. Kowalski said, tapping the side of his blue-veined nose. I can smell the fear coming off you in waves. Hell, you're scared shitless because you believe, and you don't even know why. He grinned. Why didn't you look in that black box your mother showed you? How did you... Kowalski smirked. Look at you, he said. You're one cocky son of a bitch. You dance across the bestseller lists and tell yourself that it's because of raw talent and hard work when the truth is you're a hack. What's worse, you know you're a hack. You arrogant bastard, I said. Who do you think save the wounded artiste routine for someone who gives a rat's ass? Kowalski snarled. The truth is, you don't have the slightest inkling why so many people buy your books. That's not true, I said. Oh, he shot back. Your, your ideas are good, but your dialogue stinks. Your plotting is inconsistent at best. Your prose is decent enough. You paint pretty pictures. 
but your protagonists are cold, overly, in overly intellectual. Every one of them's got a dictionary crammed so far up his ass they shit crossword puzzles. Your work lacks guts. I stumbled back to the table. Take a load off, Shakespeare. I sat. Like I said, your work lacks passion. But your imagery... Kowalski chuckled. That's where you tip the scales. You give people nightmares, and they love you for it. It was all I could do to keep my jaw from bouncing off the tabletop. I picked up a piece of bread from the basket between us and began to knead it between my fingers. I bust my ass trying to bring them to life, I said, over a fistful of multigrain. I'd always suffered from a tendency toward nervous starch manipulation. <laughs> Under a looming deadline, it wasn't unusual for me to massacre an entire loaf of white bread in one sitting. When my mother stayed with me after recuperating from her hysterectomy, my apartment looked like the floor of a cocaine processing plant staffed by workers with the worst dandruff you could possibly imagine. Kowalski had rattled me, and I couldn't stop myself. I racked my brain, I went on, writing and rewriting, trying to breathe life into different versions of the same idea over and over until I'm blue in the fucking... I stopped, blinking like a politician caught fondling himself while reading to Mormon preschoolers. In two paragraphs, Kowalski had defined everything I despised about my own writing. I threw down the dismembered bread and stood up. Who the hell are you? Kowalski grinned. I'm the fella holds the keys to the kingdom, Junior, he said. You want to cross the drawbridge or swim the moat? That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. <laughs>